0: Yeah, let's go back to our study uh, of Exodus this morning. Uh, If you miss any messages on this series uh, so far, you can take time, watch them on your YouTube or on our Facebook uh, pages. So uh, this morning we're going to finish up these I wills, the seven I wills of God found in chapter 6. I I said that these I will statements uh, are not just God's response to the doubts of Moses and the Israelites. It also contains God's saving plan for the greater exodus uh, that Jesus is going to lead as the new Moses, right? So, uh, first two I will statements spoke of the freedom that comes with God's salvation. Uh, the third I will statement uh, speaks of, or spoke of how that freedom will come about, how God will redeem His people uh, back to Himself. Uh, and and I also said that God does, uh, will not only use this redemption to purchase Israel's freedom, uh, God also intended the cost of redemption to pay for uh, Israel's adoption. Remember, we, were, we spent two weeks on this. On adoption, uh, which, uh, if you read the I will statements, it's contained in the fourth and fifth I will statements. So that's where we are so far. Uh, today, we're going to take up these last two I will statements that talk about the final aspect of God's salvation, uh, and that is of a promised. Possession. So we started from freedom, and then we, we we went to redemption, which is justification, and then we talked about uh, adoption. We speaks about justification and sanctification. Now we're in the last part. We're all waiting for this part, right? Who here is waiting for this? What? This is the only thing I've been waiting for since I became a Christian, right? Right? The possession, the the inheritance, to actually take hold of the promise. So we're in the glorification part of the I will statements. Uh, let's, let's read uh, verse 8 again. This is where it's uh, mentioned. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Uh, now when you read this, uh, obviously the focus is the possession. The land that they're supposed to get, um, land of uh, Canaan. But I think, and I think if you if you listen um, to my arguments this morning, I think that this verse is talking more about the promise than the actual possession. Because that possession, if you apply it to us, is not the same, right? In context, that possession is for the Israelites. Once they get out of Egypt, that possession is for them, their land. Um, so really, if you were to apply this to us, that doesn't apply. Possession doesn't apply. What applies is the promise. The promise. And I, and I say that because if you read other translations of this uh, verse uh, in the NIV, that word uh, swore, I swore, right? Uh, when God said, I swore, I will give to your forefathers, Um In other translations, that word swore is followed by the words with an uplifted hand. Uh, Check out the NIV version of it. And I will bring it to the land. I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. Now the Hebrew word used there for swore is literally translated as lifted up my hand. Like when you swear in to Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. That's what that swore means. When you when you make a promise, when you take an oath, that's what it means. God took an oath, made a promise, covenant to give land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Uh, and now he's saying it again to their descendants, the Israelites. That's why it's so significant. Because it goes back to verse 5. If you read verse 5, that's when God first said it. Right? Verse 5 says, Moreover, I heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians sold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Right? So God, throughout this whole thing, these I will statements, is a response or as a uh, his is his, his response to the covenant that he made, not just back in verse five, but back uh, even in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These I will states, that's his. That's what he's gonna do, in order to fulfill his covenant. That's why I said the first five verses of chapter six was God's response to doubt. Right? Remember, if you go back a few sermons, the reason why. Chapter 6 is why God is saying all these I wills is because the Israel, Israelites started to doubt God. Moses started to doubt God because uh, when they asked, uh, when Moses and Aaron asked Pharaoh, give us three days, it was rejected. Um, and after it was rejected, they start doubting God. And God said, why are you doubting me? I've promised your ancestors. I've promised your forefathers I was going to do this. And now I'm going to I will do this and this is how I will do it I will I will I will I will I will right God said from the beginning that he was going to give this to them nothing you know, on this world is going to stop that not even the most powerful nation on earth at that time That's why when God started these I will statements, he began it with a therefore. Check out verse 6. What did he say in verse 6? Say therefore to the people of Israel. After reminding them, I made a covenant. Why are you doubting? I made a covenant with your forefathers. But you still doubt? Say therefore to the people of Israel. This is what I'm going to do. I will. I will, I will, I will, I will, seven I wills, right? That's why it is so important to look at verse 8, when he says as a possession, to so not look at the possession, because it doesn't apply to us. It applies to the Israelites. <laughs> but look at the promise, because that's what applies to us, right? That's what the two I will statements, uh focus on. is the promise that God will give even us possession. Uh, Actual promise is what we are going to focus on. Um, And again, what this shows us is God's covenant promises will be fulfilled no matter what. This is God's ultimate response to our doubts that I am the God of your forefathers. And what I promise them will be fulfilled. And I guarantee it. I raise my right hand. I swear on it. Check out Ezekiel 20, uh, verse 5 and 6. And say to them, Thus the Lord your God, or the Lord God, all the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. 6. On the day that I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I have searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. So God swears, God's promise, God's covenant to the Israelites is to bring them to that land. But as a pointer, God is also saying, telling us That promise also applies to you. The nation of Israel is not just the nation uh, as far as their nationality is concerned. The Apostle Paul calls the Israelites, the true Israelites, as the children of Abraham. By faith. Right? So anybody who has Abraham's faith is included in that nation. Which is, uh, I don't want to say the church, but... That nation that God is building so that when the time comes, when the end comes, we will all be as one. Right? Jews and Gentiles don't matter. You have the faith of Abraham, you are a son. You are a daughter of God. Um, so as far as that's concerned, we focus on promise. So the Israelites, it's land. But what, about, what about us? What is the promised possession how does it relate to us? Check out uh, Hebrews 10, uh, 5 to 7. It says there, consequently, when Christ came to the world, he said, Sacrifices and uh, offerings you have not desired, but a, a body have you prepared for me. It's 6. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So when Jesus says that, I have come to do your will, when he came to this world, what he meant was, I have come to do your I wills, if you go back to Exodus. If Exodus, I wills of God, is a pointer to God's salvation, when Jesus says, I have come to do your will, what he's saying is that I will accomplish these I will statements. You get get what I'm saying? So that that promise, right, God's faithfulness will continue. That's why Christ came, to fulfill or do these I will statements. And when Jesus lived here on earth and when he died, he did exactly that. The first two I will statements is about freedom. So when Jesus came, he was our liberator. He freed us. Check out Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us, From our sins, by His blood. So if the first two I will statements about freedom, guess what? Jesus is our freedom, right? Jesus is our liberator. When it comes to our redemption, guess who is the Redeemer? Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have what? Redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. He was the cost he, his blood paid for the cost of our redemption. So as a redeemer, that's him. When God says, I will redeem, he was talking about Christ. When it comes to our adoption, it is through the body of Christ, the church, that God says what? 2 Corinthians 6.16 What agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of a living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. When it says that I will be their God, I will adopt them. Just like what he said to the Israelites, they will be my people. Right? So who does who is Paul talking about there? The church, us. Right? So when Jesus says, uh, when in Exodus says, I will adopt you, I will make you mine, and I will be your God, you will be my people. He's saying the same thing to us. Now, through the blood of Christ, or the body of Christ, which is the church. And finally, it is through the resurrection of Christ that we will receive our possession. Check out 1 Peter 4. Or 1, 4, sorry. We were saved to an inheritance that is what? Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you so the Israelites in context of Exodus get a land most of them will die there some of them will be saved and take hold of that First Peter 4 possession that we are also promised to take hold of right? that's our inheritance, that's our promised possession uh, Reichen comments this God made His promise long, long ago when He said, I will save you. The way He kept His promise was by sending His Son to be and to do everything we need to be saved so that from the beginning to end we are saved by His grace. You point that grace back to adoption? That's what Ryken is talking about, right? He didn't have to adopt us. He already had a son. God already had a son. But By his grace, what? He adopted us. And since we have been adopted by God, we are children. What does Romans 8 say? And if children, then heirs. Right? Heirs of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Same as the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Um, So now, questions that we need to answer. Um... First question that we need to answer about our inheritance, our promised possession. Um, what is it? <laughs> Simple for the Israelites, right? It's land. What about us? What is God's promised possession for those of us who believe? What, what are we actually going to uh, receive? Uh, I know we receive eternal life, right? That's what it says. Um, but what, what is that actually? Check out Romans 8, uh, 14 to 18. Can you guys read it? Can you guys read it loud? Yeah. So three things I want to sh- I want to point out in those verses about promised possession. Okay? First, only those adopted children will be heirs. Okay, Only children of God adopted will be heirs based on those verses. Number two, adopted children will receive an inheritance. If you're an heir, you get an inheritance. Uh, and number three, adopted children Can you guys read that? Number three? Adopted children will will suffer will suffer in order to receive inheritance. Okay, let's go through it one by one. We're going to pack this for you, okay? I know some of you are probably like, I don't want it anymore. I don't want my inheritance. If I have to suffer for it. <laughs> this is so... I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need it. Uh, first, only God's children will be counted as heirs. Uh, last week we took this up. Who are the children of God? Or... Uh, As I worded it last week, who are the sons of God? Sons and daughters of God are those who were redeemed, right? Justified, adopted into the family of God with God as the loving Father. Now, these children, okay, will then continuously grow into doing what their father does. Remember, sonship? It's not about just relationship. It's not about you look like your father. No, do you do what your father does as far as... uh, your father's job is concerned, his vocation, right? Um, or in other words, are, are you becoming involved in the family business, right? Back in those days, right? Jesus was not called the son of Joseph, called the son of a carpenter, because Joseph was carp- a carpenter. So when it comes to God, what is the family business of God? That of rescuing sinners. Are we growing into that? Do we love those who hate us? Do we... Chase after those who we know are, you know, going the wrong way so that we can share with them the gospel so that they can become saved. Is that us? That's Because that's what Jesus did, right? That's what God did, right? Sent his own son in order to rescue us. Uh, so in a nutshell, who are the children of God who will be God's heirs? Those whom God had redeemed and adopted as sons and daughters and being God's sons and daughters, these children will slowly act and act like and do things like their father. Therefore, becoming more and more like their older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Like I said last week, that if that is you, you must be be continuously growing in faith and works. You must be continuously being transformed each and every day to display the traits that make God who He is. Right? Right? That's what sonship me, means, right, in the Bible. Now, that's not to say that children of God will live a perfect life, but a true child of God will have a hunger and desire to do, to do so. Right? If you don't even care, <laughs> then how, how can you call yourself a son of God, child of God, right? If you don't care about what God does, right? Uh, and again, by God's grace, a true child of God will continuously take baby steps. In pursuit of God and in obedience to him that's that 's what it means to be adopted, and only those adopted will be children, and only children will be heirs okay that's how it links to possession the promise of possession now second Through adopted child of God will receive an inheritance so if a child of if a child then an heir uh, heir of God and fellow heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. now we need to answer few more questions with this one uh, in order to get the full picture of what it means to be an heir first uh, what is the promised inheritance for the children of God as found in the Bible what do we actually get what what do we actually receive says there we will receive an inheritance what is that okay Um, the Bible speaks of at least three okay we will inherit the world okay we will inherit God himself and we were talking about this third one, we were talking about in Sunday school, we would inherit glorified bodies. At least those three. Okay? First, let's talk about inheritance or, or the inheritance or the possession of the world. What does that mean? To inherit the world. Okay? Romans 4.13. Check it out. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Uh, I'm going to quote Piper here. He says, if you are an heir of God, then you will inherit what is God's. And God owns the world. Wow. Rich. Right? Who would rather be, I'd rather be an heir of Jeff Bezos. He pretty much owns the world. <laughs> he owns. He's like, how many billions does he have? Um, but no, it's God who owns. Even Jeff Bezos' riches, God owns them. That's how rich our God is. Psalm 44. Oh, uh, sorry, Psalm 24, verse one. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, or the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. Uh, Psalm 2, verse 8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. can't wait for that Uh, some of us can't wait for it uh you know we're so impatient we're like the prodigal son give us give it to me now right pray for lottery we pray for right we pray for all riches and give it to me now Uh, that's not how it works (laughs) right even though that's what the bible says that we will inherit the world that's not how it works so now that's great right amen you don't seem like you're impressed. <laughs> inherit the world, everything in it, it's great, but what does it mean? Because the Bible also says, in the, in the end, God will destroy everything. Right? So what, what, what happens to my inheritance if God's going to destroy the world? That's what it says in the end, right? Uh, Matthew 24, verse 35. What does it say? Heaven and earth... Will pass away. Well, that's my inheritance. What's going to happen? Revelation twenty-one one. When I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, gone. See, is no more. So, what does it mean to inherit the world if heaven, the world that you as you know it now, will pass away? Uh, again, check out what uh, John Piper has to say about this. And I quote again, at least it means this. okay, That everything that exists will serve your happiness. Nothing will have the final prerogative of trumping your joy. All things are yours means that even the negative things. Paul mentions life and death in 1 Corinthians 3.22. All these things will serve you in the end. In the end, God does not merely defeat every enemy of your good, but turns enemies into servants. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword. We don't just conquer, we are more than, we more than conquer. All these things are yours, life and death, all things are yours. All things will serve your everlasting joy. What do you think that means? even now whatever you have as a possession as far as physical possession is concerned will serve your joy and even if everything is taken away it will still serve your joy why? because ultimately our hope is not here it's with Christ so no matter what happens to us here it will serve our joy that's what Romans 8.28 talks about. Right? What Romans 8.28 say? All things God will work together for good. For who? For those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So one day, even the bad things, even if you die, it will serve your joy. I think that's what it means for believers to inherit the world. Does it work now? Well, if, you, if you, you recently lost a loved one, how is that going to serve your joy? If that loved one is saved, yes, it will. Right? It will serve your joy. God is able to work that for good, to serve your joy, even though there's still mourning because we're still here. It still serves to serve your joy. So it, even now it works right even now we're already kind of taking a hold of that possession by faith but when the time comes it'll be real <laughs> it'll be reality and whatever happens in this world it will serve our joy in the end because god promised to do so and that's one of our heir inheritance as a child of god right so that's the first one What do we inherit, actually? The world. And by that, it means that everything in here, even though it serves your joy now, everything that will happen to it, even if it gets destroyed, will continue to serve your joy. That's part of your inheritance. Amen? Is that good news? No? Mm. Next. Children of God inherit... God himself. Okay. This is some people like, <laughs> so what? I have him now. and It's not that great. What does it mean to inherit God himself? Well, let me put it to you in an uh, illustration. Uh, my, wa- my wife once asked our kids, if they had a choice, okay, should we rush to pay off our, all our debts so that when we die their inheritance will be fully paid. Because most of us, we will probably leave debts to our kids. (laughs) Hopefully not. So my wife asked them that. If you had a choice, should we rush to pay off all our debts so when we die, their inheritance or whatever we're going to leave to them will be just theirs? Or, should we pay our debts slowly and spend some of that finances, some of that, some of that money to make memories with them as a family. Go on vacation, spend time. Yeah. While we're, able, we're still able to do so, while we're still young. My kids chose wisely. They would rather work for their own money and, you know, work for their own. Finances and all that stuff. Rather than just waiting for an inheritance in exchange for having some quality time to spend with their parents while we still can. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Meanwhile, we're still the ones always spending. And they don't spend anything. <laughs> but that's that's the picture. Okay, That's a picture of inheriting God, right? Being in an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father means desiring and delighting in God more than we delight and desire in His gifts. And we can argue that all these things come from God anyway. But God's greatest gift, if He says who He says He is, Must be himself. If God gave us everything, but withheld himself, would that make him good? Will that make him loving? If you truly love somebody, you want to give them the best, right? Amen? But since God is the best, (laughs) his greatest gift is himself. It has to be, right? Right? Because without God, heaven would not be heaven. Or are you the type that, (laughs) I'd rather have heaven, no God. Because no true child of God would want heaven and eternal life apart from having God. Amen. In fact, the Bible says it, John 17, what is eternal life? to know my father, the one who sent me. That's what Jesus said, right? Without God, then it's pointless. So if you're just coming to church just for to get to heaven, but I don't really want God. I just want heaven. I don't just don't want to go to hell. And I don't think you're a true child. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So first inheritance the world, second inheritance, God Himself. Third, uh, check out Psalm seventy-three. Or sorry, this Psalm seventy-three is still about God, but read read it anyway. Psalm seventy-three, verse, 20, uh, verse twenty-five: Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's that's. That's God's greatest inheritance. That's God's greatest gift to us, is himself. Um, Third, children of God will inherit redeemed and glorified bodies. Okay, children of God will inherit redeemed and glorified bodies. Again, Piper says this, If we are to enjoy the world and all that is in it, and if all those things are not to compete with God and become idols, then we must have bodies capable of deeper, higher, fuller joys than we presently have. And we must be rid of all the pain and crying and tears of this world. Check out Romans 8, 22-23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we... Wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Why do our bodies need to be redeemed? Why do our bodies need to be glorified? Because if you were to face God and enjoy everything, the world that is in it, you need something more than this. Because right now, I love to eat. Who here loves to eat? Man, all of us. <laughs> Sometimes I feel sad when I'm full. Because I want to eat some more. You guys ever feel that, have that feeling? I just want to eat some more. Like I want more chocolates and I want more, uh, you know, chicharom uh, bituka or... Uh, <laughs> you want to keep eating and eating and eating. But what happens when you do that? You're going to die. Because your body can't take that much goodness. Right? You just can't. Your body was not made for that. So imagine if God comes back. Okay, here's your inheritance, all of this possession, like all of this joy and all everything on earth is for your joy. And myself, I give to you. How are you gonna take? You'll die. <laughs> you, you will die. So God, in His grace, says, Yo, no. Once you're dead, you will get these glorified. Bodies where you can eat all you want, not gain weight, and not have high blood, none of that stuff. You just do whatever you want, you won't die anymore. Amen. That's the, that's the best. <laughs> I just want that one, can I? <laughs> I just want the glorified body one, right? By God's grace, this limited, fragile body of ours will be replaced by a body that can take an infinite amount of joy and not be destroyed by it. And since God's children will ultimately share in His glory and be conformed to the image of His Son, we can best assured that our bodies will also be redeemed and glorified when that day comes. We will be ready for it. So we can take all that joy in. Wow! Now we prepare our body for pain, right? When you wake up in the morning... That's what I do. You have to stretch first so your body doesn't hurt. You have to make sure your mind is right so that when you run into somebody who is, and is not right, you'll be able to handle them with grace and love. And, right, That's what we have to prepare to. In the end, it's the opposite. We prepare for so much joy. We prepare for so much glory that we need new bodies to do so. Check it out, 8.17 again. If we're children, we're heirs. Right? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Stop there. So what do we inherit? The world, God himself, and be able to enjoy those two. We need glorified bodies. But the verse is not done. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided if what? We suffer with Christ or with Him in order that we may be also glorified with Him. So there's something else that comes with being an heir, right? Not just the world, not just God, not just glorified bodies. Something else comes with it. In this verse, it seems like as if suffering is conditional because of the if, right? But read it again. If we read this verse in context, the suffering is not an if, it is a when. Because the if there ties suffering to our inheritance. You can't get suffer, you can't get inheritance without suffering. That's what it says, right? That's why my number three point is adopted children. We'll, need, we'll have to suffer, will suffer in order to receive. An inheritance. The road to our possession, road to our inheritance, is covered with suffering. Now the question is, what is this suffering? What does it mean to suffer? Is it like the suffering that we see in movies? Is it, you know, torture? Is that what it means? Well, in a nutshell, uh, the suffering that Paul is referring to is anything that that we will face in this life that could destroy our faith. Anything that we'll face in this life that could destroy our faith. Paul gives us some examples in in Romans 8, right? Persecution, calamity, disease, death. If you read, let's read Romans 8, uh, 35 to 39. You guys read it. This is what suffering, the suffering that Paul is saying. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Can you guys read it loud loud? In context, that's what Paul means by suffering. All that stuff. Anything that could destroy your faith. If you were put through persecution, some will crack. Right. If you were put through uh, what torture, some of us will crack. Um, anything that will destroy our faith. But the Paul, what he did was list the major ones there. It's all major if you think about it. Disease, calamity, all that stuff. Yeah, that is. We will suffer if we experience that. But those are all major. What about minors? What about the little ones? What about the little things? Little things like uh, job loss. That's suffering. Right? Or a difficult coworker. Well, who's had experience with difficult coworker? Isn't that suffering? It's small, it's not included in Romans 8, but it's still suffering. It sometimes can still dis, you know, destroy your faith. What about difficult church members? Uh, maybe just for me, or for you. Uh, right? Disagreements. What about disagreements? Arguments? No, oh, bullies. I hate bullies. Suicidal trends that are going on right now. I think sometimes it's very... Daily anxieties. Some people are... Because of COVID, because of the lockdown, uh, have suffered uh, mental illnesses. That's suffering. What about fears? What about doubts? What about, what about all these things? They're all suffering. And they're all lined up. Our road to our inheritance, to our possession. So now, you have to ask... You, now know, you don't know, you know what the what is. What is the suffering? Now you have to ask why. What, why do I have to go through this? Right? Why does God line up the road to our inheritance with suffering? I think it's the same purpose uh, that he had for allowing the Israelites to go through slavery. We talked about this a long, long time ago. Why did God allow the Israelites to be enslaved for 400 years? Uh, Two reasons. First, is to make us rely more on God. Second uh, Corinthians one eight and nine. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life, for of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead that's why okay god didn't just give us he could have right he could have just given us all the glorified body all that stuff and not go through suffering why not but he made us go through this for what so that we can rely more on him right without any hardships we can easily fool ourselves into thinking we can handle anything but because of the suffering that comes from things that are out of our control we naturally look to something greater than ourselves to rely on and that's normal that's that's how we are wired as humans i don't care how much you say i don't believe in god i don't believe in god if you're put in a situation where you have no control suddenly you believe that's why there's christians that are emergency christians Right? God, they put God in a little emergency box with a glass thing, with a hammer. And break in case of emergency. That's the only time these Christians come to God. (sighs) I'm suffering, help me. Because that's that's just how we're wired. Right? That's how sinful man is wired. Suffering comes. I can't control it anymore. Somebody help me. One uh, US military chaplain. Named William Thomas Cummings once said uh, during a sermon he delivered on the field of battle, uh, this is in the Philippines, on the field of uh, battle during the Battle of Bataan in 1942. This is what he said There are no atheists in foxholes. (laughs) He's talking to the U.S. troops who are about to go to battle in Bataan in 1942. Some of them are not Christian, obviously, right? This chaplain says there are no atheists. In foxholes. What does that mean? That means that during times of stress or fear or suffering, anyone will start to believe or hope in a higher power. Anybody. I don't care how atheist you are. You start to pray. You're going to start to talk to somebody about helping you. So what did God do? By His grace and mercy, God lined up our path to our inheritance with suffering so that we won't be spoiled brats waiting for our inheritance from our rich father. That's all we do. If, if, if there was no suffering and you're just sitting here and just, hmm, and everything's good, nothing bad is happening, we'll be spoiled brats. Right? And look, even the richest people in the world wouldn't do that to their kids. Look at Bill Gates. Bill Gates, one of the richest men in the world, when asked how much of his fortune he would leave to his kids, he said this, I definitely think leaving kids massive amounts of money is not a favor to them. Even Bill Gates said, I'm going to leave 99.9% of my fortunes to charities. What about your kids? They get 10 million each <laughs> so that they would have to suffer a little bit reading the article I'm like 10 million just give me one <laughs> to suffer but what's his point his point is he doesn't want his kids to not learn the value of hard work you know to just rely on these but with 10 million I mean you can live off that You can put that in a good savings account you can live off the but still that the point is that he's he doesn't want to spoil his kids right do you think God would do that to us? Like, No, that's, that makes him not loving. If Bill Gates can love his kids that way, I'm sure God loves us even more. So in his mercy, he, he lined our path to our inheritance with suffering. Uh, Piper said this, Suffering is appointed for us in this life as a great mercy to keep us from loving this world more than we should. And to make us rely on God who raises the dead. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's the first reason. So that we rely on God more. First reason why God lined up our path with suffering. Second, uh, God lined up our path, our inheritance with suffering to make our inheritance much more desirable. Than any comfort that we have in this world. Much like how God allowed the Israelites to suffer in slavery, God allows us to experience suffering today to help us to lose our taste for this world and instead develop a desire and a hunger to be with God in eternity. Amen? That's why we're, as Christians, we're always supposed to be looking way ahead. Otherwise, you're not going to survive this world if you just take it one day at a time. Where are you going to pull out your hope from? Right? We should look way ahead. Um, but that suffering is also to, yeah, you lose your taste for this world. Uh, some people do that by committing suicide, right? They've lost all taste for this world, and, you know, I've got to get out. <laughs> uh, I'm not telling you to commit suicide, but, uh, you know, the way you think, it should be that. Um, I have something better, so why do I have to despair? Even though right now, it's hard. Um, That's the second reason uh, why God allows suffering. So now we've heard the what, the why of suffering. Last question to answer would be the how. How do we overcome or endure suffering? And keep in mind, the suffering that I'm mentioning here, uh, the main goal is to kill our faith. So how do we overcome or endure suffering? By keeping our eyes on the inheritance before us. That's what the inheritance is for as well. Right? Look what Paul says, Romans 8.18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is what I'm talking about. Have eternal vision. He didn't just look forward a couple of years, but he looked thousands of years ahead into eternity and then fixed his eyes on the glory that is to be revealed to us and when i say look forward i'm paul is looking forward by faith he's believing that whatever he's suffering right now that's just the road leading to his inheritance that glory far outweighs the suffering whose glory is he talking about God's, right? And His adopted childrens, Because so we will be glorified at that point as well. So how do we endure suffering? Look forward. And even though we're walking through the suffering, we can have joy because we know there's something to look forward to. Simple. Right? Don't focus on the suffering. Focus on the promise. Remember? This whole thing is about promise, right? Don't focus on the suffering. Focus on the promise, possession. Let me close by uh, telling you this story uh, by John Newton. A man, uh, this story is about a man who um, was going to New York. He was on his way to New York to claim his inheritance. Somebody died. One of his relatives, rich relatives died. Sent him a letter. Come to New York you have an inheritance that you have to claim. So on the way there, about a mile from the lawyer's office, his carriage broke down. Just one more mile. His carriage broke down so that he would have to walk the rest of the way to the lawyer's office so that he could go and claim his inheritance. And the author of the story said this, What a fool we should think of him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining miles. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. You get the point of the story? He's a mile away from becoming rich, so to speak. He just has to walk there. But since his carriage broke down, that's all you could think about the rest of the way. Okay, Carriage broken. What a fool, John Newton said. What a fool. But if you think about yourself, just look at yourself. How many times you complain about stuff? <laughs> Me. Right? I complain a lot. Focus on this stuff. Why why are all these people? Why why is my life like this? Blah 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 blah. I, I'm, I'm 46 this year, This seven, six, 6, I don't even know how old I am, I'm 46 this year, average lifespan for a male, 80, 75, 80, I got 40 more years, less than 40 years, I'm dead, <laughs> why am I complaining, <laughs> I have this thing that I'm looking forward to, and it's not like life here is bad, What a fool. <laughs> you have your last mile. to not look at what you're getting and instead, man, my carriage broke. I lost my job. I'm by myself. Everybody in my family is dead. The road to inheritance is littered with suffering. But remember that suffering is God's mercy for us. To see that our inheritance is infinitely worth more than anything in this world. And the only way to overcome suffering on the road to your inheritance is what? Keep your, eyes, keep your eyes focused and our faith strong and continue to hope and wait for our coming inheritance. Our coming possession that God promised a long, long time ago. And that He will give to those who persevere. Amen? Amen. That's what we should focus on. Yes, we have problems. I have lots of problems. I know you guys got lots of problems. But keep your eyes focused on that. A few more years, we're there. And if you have God in your life, you have God in your family's life, then there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be sad about. Why? Because one day, all of this, whatever happens here, good or bad, will serve your joy. Not only that, you get God. And for that, He's also prepared us with glorified bodies. That's what we're waiting for as believers. Amen? All right. Let's bow down our hands Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you. His face to shine upon you, and be, gra- and be gracious unto you, and be gracious, the Lord be gracious, gracious you.